Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chess Study Podcast. I just want to give a quick update on how this chess strategy course is going. So I'm posting my 10-part chess strategy course, Complete Chess Strategy, that I originally posted on my YouTube. And the next two episodes specifically do have, or I guess you could say do require in a way, a visual component uh, because I'm covering chess positions, but I'm just going to spread the audio out anyway because there still is a lot of useful concepts in these videos. Uh, and the, the I think the three or four videos after that are basically concept videos, so they don't really show any positions, um, but I'm basically just going to be posting the course anyway. But I will say for the next two episodes, which is uh, strategic elements analyzed, you can watch them either on my YouTube channel at Chess Diagnostic on YouTube or on the Spotify podcast um, with the video. So I would recommend that you check those out if you really want to get the full experience on that. Anyway, let's get into uh, the rest of this chess strategy course, and I'll see you. Complete Chess Strategy, Part 4, Strategic Elements Analyzed, Permanent Advantages by Chess Diagnostic. Hello, and welcome to Complete Chess Strategy Part 4, Strategic Elements Analyzed. We're going to analyze the 16 strategic elements in relation to peace activity, and we're going to start with the first element, uh, which is material advantage. So basically, this position arises from a Scandinavian defense, and we can see here that the queen is over on the side, and the knight are developed. These, these are basically the only two pieces that black has developed. Um, now, if we count the pieces for white, uh, we have basically three versus the two here. So uh, white exploits this by basically winning the queen through tactical means. And if we go back uh, to the, the, per the third part of the strategic lessons, the strategic elements, then we know that from the four positional rules, uh, which rules isn't the best word, it's more the main uh, kind of guiding ideas that we need to use to find the best move. We know that attack is one of the rules and we should always look for attacking moves because they can help us increase our pieces activity as well as decrease the opponents and win material, which is the quantitative, which would be a quantitative advantage. All right, so white basically exploits this after black makes a mistake moving his queen to b6. Um, you can see here that basically the the uh, evaluation bar just went way up, and Black made a mistake because he not only reduced his activity, but he neglected his development with all these pieces over here. Uh, a move that he could have made was just simply to castle queenside. So instead of doing that, he makes a mistake by going back to queen to b6. And now white gains a material advantage by moving his knight forward and see if black takes the bishop then there's a fork here winning the queen for a bishop getting a huge material advantage which is immediately winning and if black tries to prevent that then there's a fork to win for example if he moves here there's just a fork to win the rook so So if black moves here, 
which is what he did in the game, then this immediately wins because now black is forced to take the bishop and he has no squares, which basically means his activity is zero because because white has reduced all the squares available to the queen and white is forced to take the bishop and now at this point the material advantage is winning. So this is, we can see uh, from this position that basically a strategic element, if you look from the four positional rules, we know that we need to centralize our pieces and we also need to always look for attacking moves. And so when when you have a advantage in development, then you can use that advantage to either win material, start an attack, or just sometimes immediately mate the opponent's king. All right, so I hope this example helped you. We'll be moving on to the second one. Thank you very much. All right, we're on the second strategic element analyzed, and the second strategic element is bad king position. So bad king position can arise from either you or your opponent getting greater peace activity on a certain part of the board threatening the king. And so this game we're looking at here is a Paul Morphy game, and it, it looks a little ridiculous, but it, it illustrates the point quite clearly. So basically what White has done is he's chased the black king into the center of the board, and even though White, even though black basically has an extra rook, the pieces are useless because they're sitting here on the first rank, undeveloped, with no activity, and so the further white goes, the greater the king is driven into the white position, and he's basically mated. It's an amazing game, but uh, we'll see here that Morphe just uses tactical means at this point to finish off the king. So he checks here, checks here, moves his pawn, basically, and now black can simply take the bishop... And now at this point, black is basically or white is basically down a bishop and a rook, and all white has to do though is castle, and the game's over. So this clearly illustrates the point of bad king king position for strategic elements analyzed. Uh, and so hope hopefully it's memorable. You'll realize that you know when uh, when you're looking for moves. If we go back here, you can see that. Basically, white is able to use his understanding of strategy to just keep attacking the king, weaken the king position, and then mate him. Game over. All right, now we'll move on to the third strategic element. Strategic element three is pass pawns in the middle game. All right, well, we're just going to analyze uh, pass pawns in general. And so this position is basically uh, early end game, maybe late middle game. There's a queen still on the board. Um, either way. So strategic element three is uh, dangerous primarily because the pass pawn can allow you to gain greater peace activity with the promise of promotion, as well as restricting the opponent's pieces by forcing them to blockade or defend or maybe even sacrifice themselves against the pawn. So 
Black is winning here, and he just follows a simple strategic plan of using his pass pawn to win the game. And there's really nothing that White can do about this plan, so the next few moves are, are quite simple. Um, all he does is he takes the pawn, and now he has these two pass pawns. He trades it for this pawn, basically. But in the end game, uh, pass pawns or pawns in general on the edge of the board are worth more because they can help stretch an opponent's defenses more than pawns in the center. Because if you have a pawn here and you have a pawn here, and there's only a knight to defend against those two pawns, there's no way um, that those two pawns could be defended against. And so that's basically called the principle of two weaknesses. But anyway, we'll just look at the next few moves here. So all black has to do is simply advance that pawn. And now with the, mo with the uh, move of the queen here, his plan is to move the pawn here and then here. And the rook will have to move here and sacrifice itself for the pawn, which white just resigned anyway. So as we can see, uh, this strategic element is quite simple, but of course it can be very complex. But it's these simple ideas, the overall goal, um, the overall understanding of the strategic element that allows chess players to find these moves that can seem complex at first. And so if you understand the overall goal of greater peace activity, uh, you can find the specific strategic element that it relates to. All right, moving on. This is strategic element four, which is weak pawns for the opponent. And this is a game between Rajabov as white and Masiezha as black. I think I'm saying that correctly. All right, uh, so just as in element three, the reason that the weak pawns for the opponent are dangerous primarily is because the opponent's pieces are restricted defending the pawn. Uh, so the rook or the bishop, which are worth three or five points, is basically defending a piece that's only worth one. So this is a very clear example that Rajabov uses to win this game, and he uses the strategic element of weak pawns for the opponent, which creates a permanent object of attack. So he does that by moving the pawn forward and basically tripling the pawns. You look at these here, incredibly weak, and this one as well. And now all the black's pieces, the rooks and the bishop, are stuck, as well as the queen, defending against attack. And so white just launches right away, chasing uh, pieces' opponents back. So this move, um, you can see, follows rule four, that if an opponent's piece is on, um, basically on, on your side of the board, then you want to basically chase it back. And so he does that right away. And so with this move, he's hitting this pawn. Black is threatening this pawn if he takes uh, counterattack, which is a good method to use. And what white does is basically consolidate his position because these are a long-term weakness. They're not going away. He can take his time. And in the meanwhile, black really has nothing to do. And now this pawn's consolidated. There's no, there's no way to attack it. So, as you can see, he's hitting here. He has to bring the queen back 
to protect this pawn. A move back is normally not good because it, Black was basically force, forcing himself to decrease his own activity to protect this pawn. Alright, another move, attacking the weak pawn. You can see these moves are just very simple. When you understand the strategic element, um, it's very easy to find the correct move. Alright, so he's using tactics. If black takes, he'll simply take here, and now he'll win the queen. Uh, he'll be up a exchange, basically. So, of course, black doesn't go for that line. At this point, you can see, uh, basically, uh, white has already won a pawn, and these other three pawns are still weak and still up for attack. We'll just quickly go through the rest of the game here. But at this point, white has already increased his activity, won a pawn, getting a quantitative advantage, and he wins because of it. Alright, so we're just kind of going through the rest of these moves. So at this point, the game's over. Um, these pawns, alright, so these pawns here are basically going to be promoted as well as this move threatens mate as well as threatening to win this bishop. So because of those weak pawns was basically the reason that uh, that white won the game. It restricted Black's peace activity, allowed White to get a winning material advantage as well as an advantage in activity on the board, and so the end position you can see is a direct result of that. Alright, moving on. Strategic element number five, strong or weak squares, so basically strong squares are beneficial because they would deprive the opponent of squares that he can use in your position but here we're just basically going to analyze weak squares of the opponent because uh, normally you're not going to consciously just try to make strong squares but for example this would be a strong square right here uh, f5 for the knight of course black can chase it away by moving g6 but normally you want to notice weak squares by the opponent because then you can make a plan of how to penetrate and attack those weak squares. And so it's black to move here. And if we look at the position after f6, basically that's a huge mistake because now black has created weak squares here, all around here. And white makes a plan to simply exploit these squares and he wins pretty quickly. So... A good thing to understand is that knights are very good at at penetrating weak squares because if you can post a knight there, then because of their figure eight movement, then if you have a knight here, then he'll be hitting all these squares in the opponent's camp if he's posted on g6. And normally it's a it's a winning advantage if you can get your knight on a posted on a weak square or a, a strong square for you, but a weak square for your opponent into the opponent's camp because it just completely paralyzes all the opponent's activity. Oops, sorry about that. All right, so as we can see, uh, he, Black tries to complete his development, but it's pretty much too late already. Now, with this move to f5, uh, White is hitting here, threatening a fork, 
and black doesn't play the strongest moves but at this point he's forced to start defending and at this point when when an opponent's defending then the reason defending is terrible is because he's basically forcing himself to use heavy pieces to defend weak pieces and to restrict his own activity while you go about your attack and increase your activity at the same time so he tries to chase back the the piece but it still doesn't work so at this point um, white makes a trade-off but it's too late already he basically has a winning tactic now if the rook takes he wins the queen either way he wins the queen because if the king moves here then so that's just all over um, as you can see it basically all stemmed from misunderstanding that he's creating weak squares in his own camp and now it's completely black's own choice to do that uh, and a lot of times it's just misunderstanding your overall goal so if you don't understand your overall goal you're gonna make mistakes like that you're gonna misunderstand what you need to do in a specific type of position and you're gonna overthink it make some move that just has nothing to do with anything waste your time decreases your activity and that's what it looks like that's what happened here so um, not even to mention this bishop over here is completely blocked by the pawns uh, these two rooks are sitting completely inactive white has the file here file here so it's just understanding how it all interrelates which allows you to find your overall goal the strategic element that relates to the position and to sim make simple logical moves that that basically help you to win the game all right moving on um, hope that was clear enough Strategic element number six is pawn islands, and so black is going to be winning here. Uh, basically, pawn islands are these things here, separate pawn chains, or just a single pawn that are disconnected from other pawns. And the reason these are weak is simply because they can't be protected by other pawns, and so they become a target for the opponent's attack. And so now it looks like white was threatening this pawn he doesn't want to trade that if you look at this uh, uh, black's pawn chain this whole thing basically it's strong because each pawn um, or uh, each pawn here can be protected by another pawn and so as long as there's a piece to reinforce it there's really no way that white can break through and so black exploits this by increasing his activity and taking his time and eventually winning all of white's pawns or threatening to to end the game and we can see this it's quite clear so white is threatening or white is defending this pawn and now black still doesn't take it because it would just be a trade if he takes it then um, at the end of the line white will just simply win back his pawn by taking this pawn weakening black's pawn structure and so black takes his time to increase his peace activity on white's side and now as you can see white really has nothing to do and at this point uh, white's strategy paid off because he just won material gaining his quantitative advantage um, further weakening the pawn islands because now there's three pawn islands with two of them being just single disconnected pawns 
and now black is very thorough and he takes his time and now this is the end of the game because basically um, black will be picking up all these pawns and he's consolidated the, these two files here which would be weak um, if he didn't and so we'll just end the position here because basically black's going to win this pawn or this pawn after he moves rook uh, to f3 and there's nothing white can do about it very simple strategy uh, he used his understanding of pawn islands and weak pawns to basically win the game all right on to the next one strategic element number seven is a strong pawn center um, now maybe this game doesn't illustrate a strong pawn center exactly but it illustrates the important points which is basically if you have a strong pawn center and you own the center then you can do whatever you want with your pieces you can increase their activity get better squares for your pieces and also have a point from which you can attack the opponent and this is a game by Botvinnik and that's exactly what he does here so after white plays b5 black trades this square or this his light square bishop for white's light square bishop and now he's gonna penetrate these two squares because he has a pawn in the center he can basically provide outposts for his pieces and from these outposts he's able to start an attack um, we're not gonna deeply analyze the game but I'm just trying to illustrate the point so as you can see in this position he has because he has a pawn here on d5 he can basically post his pieces wherever he wants and move them into the opponent's camp and white can't really do anything about it uh, because he traded his light square bishop so at this point black is still playing in the center he allows white to take this pawn but you have to keep in mind that the center is the most important if you can control the center and your pieces are the most active then it doesn't really matter what else happens if you can control the center and own it then you can start an attack and black is even willing to allow white to trade a pawn on his king side of the board to open the center basically so at this point um, black completely owns these squares you can see the rooks off here doing nothing the knights sitting on the first rank and this rook's not doing much either so black parries all the threats by the simple move of f6 this pawn can't move forward black is protecting g7 preventing mate so at this point he just simply moves his pieces forward and now look at look at this center he has the rooks bishop knight white even had to move back all his pieces are on the first rank his piece activity is basically zero and the main strategic element that allowed him to do this is his strong pawn center and the outposts that it get, that it gave his pieces and like i said we're not going to deeply analyze the rest of the, the rest of this game but we're just going to look at the final moves of how he just started a, an attack from the center now he's combining all the strategic elements basically now he's controlling this rank with his rook he's controlling this rank as well he has a strong center he's starting an attack 
So he centralized his pieces, and from that centralized position, he was able to start an effective attack. And now he can even sacrifice material because all of White's pieces are just sitting here. They're not doing anything. And so he can even sacrifice a rook to open the position and gain a qualitative advantage to achieve his theoretical uh, goal, which is checkmating the opponent. So at this point, he's threatening check here and then eventually mate. And that's pretty much game over for him. All right, so this was strategic element number seven. Moving on to the next one. All right, this is strategic element number eight, which is control of a diagonal. And this is a pretty clear example here. So after some tactical play, and by further tactical play, uh, basically this is a game by Capablanca. He's managed to open up the white position, and with this bishop here sitting on a8, he he's basically threatening mate. So one of the benefits of the bishop is that it's a long-range piece. It can control all the way from a8 all the way to h1. So Capablanca exploits this by basically bringing his bishop in and now if the rook takes then after this there's simple mate so this is a tactical element called interference but we're not coming covering tactics here uh, but basically if the knight moves then he'll just simply for example, if he goes here, then he'll just simply checkmate like that. Uh, there's quite a few ways to checkmate at this point, but it's all because that the bishop on a8 controls the entire white square diagonal. And now you'll notice um, black has the bishop pair. Now the benefit of the bishop pair, especially when it's a bishop versus a knight for the opponent, is that the bishop with the, or the bishop that you have that doesn't control those squares, for example, the light square bishop, white has nothing to contradict or oppose this bishop. And so he owns all the light squares with his bishop. And so they basically that's the benefit of control of a diagonal and having the bishop pair. All right, on to the next one. Number nine is control of a file, and this strategic element in relation to peace activity is important because if white controls this file, he controls all the squares along it, and it can become a point of penetration into the opponent's camp. Um, now if we divide the board into two parts, with this part being black's part, or black's camp, and then this being white, then what white wants to do is since he's already developed all his pieces and he controls his file, um, Black's going to try to oppose him, but ultimately Gary Kasparov uses tactical means to try to increase his activity onto the opponent's side and either gain a quantitative material advantage or a advantage in activity to try to mate the king or to win more material. And so Black tries to close off the file and now white is trying to pry it open. Now black is trying to gain the file or oppose the file by bringing his own rook onto it. Uh, 
and now white uses tactical means to prevent this because if black takes and if black ends up taking the the pawn then there's a mating attack like this so and now white's threatening checkmate there's nothing black can do so black is not allowed to take that uh, that rook so and also um, from the previous strategic element uh, white is opposing the bishop and he doesn't want to trade because if he trades then that just simply gives black the file and there's nothing he can do so because if he takes then he'll just take with the queen or the pawn and now he has a passed pawn that's going to win okay so instead of doing that um, black moves his bishop back but now white is threatening checkmate here so he has to block off that diagonal and as you can see um, if you just simply look at these pieces here they're all trapped on the queen side no activity white white basically owns the file he owns the diagonal black had to weaken his pawns to moving them forward to close off the diagonal and so white just simply moves his pieces forward and now black doesn't want to trade the rooks because then he'll get a passed pawn but as you can see because of that white completely owns this entire file alright and so white just simply moves his pieces forward trying to trade some to gain greater activity and at this point now he's simply pushing his pawn forward this is pinned here and there's really nothing white can do and so at this point uh, black just resigned because white's gonna win all these pawns as well gaining a quantitative advantage and as you can see the end position with white on the seventh rank as well as the pawn it's it's a very simple simple strategic idea but because Gary Kasparov understood it the strategic element of control of a file he was able to increase his activity and basically win the game quite simply alright on to the next one number 10 is the bishop pair so the bishop pair is a permanent advantage because a bishop controls 13 squares at the most not including the square that it's on while a knight controls only eight squares at the most and can control as little as two which means if you have the bishop pair as opposed to the knight pair you will control 26 squares maximally versus 16 and this numerical superiority is why the bishop pair is a definite advantage so this position is a position played by Anand where he basically uses his understanding of the bishop pair to usher his passed pawns down the board and win the game quite quickly and he starts with b5 which forces black to take this pawn and now he uses a, a exchange stack to win the bishop pair so at this point if we evaluate the position we can see that black has is an exchange up um, minus a pawn or two <laughs> and it's so clearly winning because 
These past pawns will be ushered in by the bishop pair, which control all the squares, dark squares, as well as light squares. And there's really nothing black can do. The game is over pretty quickly. So he wins the pawn back, but there's really nothing he can do to stop the advance of these pawns, and Anon just keeps pushing his pawn forward. And now, so he's trying to control this, this square, but it's too late. And at this point, the game's over. So, because if the rook takes, if the rook takes here, then he gets a new queen. Game over. So if we look why exactly um, white won so quickly and easily, it's because he had the bishop pair as well as pass pawns, which is a pretty deadly combination. So, all right, moving on to the next one. This is the last of the permanent advantages, which is control of a rank. Uh, just as in control of a file, a rank is the exact same idea. If you control the rank, you control all the squares along that rank, which would basically give you greater freedom of movement as well as points along the rank where you can penetrate into the opponent's position. Or if it's an advanced rank, such as the seventh here, then basically he controls the entire seventh rank of the opponent's camp. And so this is a game by Bobby Fischer, where he clearly follows the idea of gaining absolutely total control of the seventh rank, which paralyzes his opponent and gives him an easy win. So Bobby Fischer basically forces a trade, freeing up this square, which allows him to bring in his other rook. And now at this point, he's planning to just move to the seventh. And with doubled rooks on the seventh, there's really nothing black or white can do to stop this idea. So at this point, he's threatening to take this pawn. In addition to mate, and there's really nothing that white can do to stop it. So he's winning pawns. Along with control of the rank, he's won a bunch of material. And now, of course, if the bishop takes, then he just wins it back, and he's up two pawns. So this is a clear example of how controlling the rank gives black greater peace activity and allows him to turn his, basically, his qualitative advantage into a quantitative advantage, material advantage. All right, so this wraps up all the strategic elements that are permanent, uh, as defined by Steinitz. And we're going to be moving on to the temporary advantages. See you there.